Amen. I feel the presence of the Lord when I'm here. And I, very honestly, I sometimes have been places <clears throat> where that I did not feel that immediately. But I always feel it when I come to Clay's Mill. And it's my joy and delight to have had the privilege to be in front of you now the second time today. And uh, if I may just say a few words of commendation, God bless you for doing it. Amen. <laughs> just keep it up. I, <clears throat> I talked to Brother Fugit, and he'll, he'll tell me, well, we had a good day. We had so many saved, so many baptized, and uh, new visitors and all. And that's kind of the summation of the story, the ministry, the biography of Clay's Mill Baptist Church. And that is the way it ought to be. It really is. Whether the church is large or small, that ought to be where it's headed. And uh, I appreciate the times that he and I have together, the friendship we have, and with others of you as well. I, um, I want to do something tonight that is a little different for me in terms of the message that I have to bring to you. I'll be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I, uh, I, I set this up by way of introduction prior to the reading of that, and I'm about to tell you a couple of things that <clears throat> I do not tell you to, to uh, be sounding my horn, but I, I do it because I look into the face tonight of many, many, many of you that are, that are younger by far than I am, and, uh, and I want to give you just a bit of a testimony that I hope will encourage you to do what you should do. Tonight marks a very special anniversary for me. Now, I'm going to shock you when I tell you. Uh, it was 63 years ago tonight that I preached my first sermon. January the 13th, 1957, I was a freshman in high school. Now, you do the math, I just turned 77, so <clears throat> get that out of the way. <laughs> Dr. Jorgens and I were jogging around about that earlier tonight. And, uh, <clears throat> but uh, as a freshman in high school, uh, at uh, just finished the first semester, but I walked, down, I walked down the aisle, would have been last Sunday, and announced that I believe God had called me to be a preacher. The church where I was a member and was active, and in fact, I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every week. And often in those days, we lived, we lived four miles, the home place four miles from the church, and I walked that many times. Because my mother and dad were not in church, they were not walking with God. And uh, I can't explain all of that to you except the Lord got in my heart the day I got saved. And uh, I was shocked. I, I sat down. The pastor announced what I had told him. And then he turned and looked at me and he said, and you'll preach for us next Sunday night. Now, I was a very shy kid. I'm still kind of shy. I was a very shy kid. But from the moment that that announcement was made, I was itching to get on with it. I can't explain that except the hand of God. When that Sunday night showed up 63 years ago tonight, 
almost all of the 150 folks who usually came to church there on Sunday morning showed up. <laughs> usually about half that. But a lot of them showed up along with 60 of my relatives. My, both sets of my grandparents, one uncle from Detroit, drove all the way from Detroit. And among those were my mother and dad. They sat right about where Brother Miss Fisher is sitting. Church wasn't as large as, I think maybe 12, 14 rows deep, but they were sitting right about where you guys are sitting. And I got up that night and I read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 11 through 17. It's the, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus. All scriptures are given by inspiration of God. That was the passage. And I preached my first sermon, about 25 minutes worth. And when I gave the invitation, several people responded. But my mother and dad were the first two down the aisle. They literally got on their knees right about there and got themselves right with God, joined the church, and served the Lord faithfully as long as they lived. Mom's been dead three years. Dad's been dead ten. Now... I, I tell you that because after, after 63 years preaching, there are, there are some things that keep you going when you're walking through a valley. There are things that will keep you going whenever you're riding the mountaintop. And a lot of folks lose it in the valley. I'm talking about they lose their zeal, they lose their drive. They lose their purpose. They, they just lose perspective. A lot of folks get sidetracked in the valley. But a lot of folks lose it on the mountain. They get everything going their way, and all at once, man, look what I've done. Now, I want to read a passage tonight that's set in a, well, it's set in a bad situation. That church in Corinth was not the church you want to pattern after. At least not at 1 Corinthians stage. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 addressed a heresy that they had developed. The tongues issue. They, uh, they had heard about what happened in Jerusalem when God gifted those 120 folks in that Jerusalem church. He gifted them to be able to speak a language so the foreigners could hear the gospel. Well, the folks in Corinth, I mean, they, they were knee-deep. I mean, they were up to their eyeballs in carnality. You, all you got to do is read through, read through the, the chapters. I mean, every chapter there's something. They, I mean, they were into a lot of just crazy stuff. But they're going to be spiritual. And they're going to show everybody if, if it can be done in Jerusalem, it can be done in Corinth. And so they, they're trying to do the... Thing and they don't work so they faked it I think I'm pretty sure they faked it and so 12, 13 and 14 these three chapters are designed to correct them pastorally gently but firmly correct them and get them on track now I begin reading with verse 6 chapter 14 1 Corinthians now, brethren if I come unto you speaking with tongues and by the way let me just say when the Bible uses that word Tongues, it's the word glosa, and it means languages. It does not mean gibberish. It does not mean some ecstatic utterance. It is a known language, not something unknown, but known. 
And in this case, he says, If I come unto you speaking with tongues, meaning languages, what shall it profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? If I stood up here tonight and um, spoke in whatever, I mean, I mean, I don't speak Russian, but suppose I did memorize something and, and gave it to you in Russian or Chinese or Swahili. That's one of the favorite ones of the tongues talkers, the fakers of our day. They, they, they do their gibberish. Oh, it's Swahili. Well, it's not Swahili. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, if, if, I, if I get up here and use a tongue or a language that, that you don't know, I mean, I mean the, the, the obvious thing is, he says, what, what shall it profit you? And even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a, distinctive, a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise, ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known? Lost my place here. How shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. Now, there's a verse here, verse number 8, that has a principle set in the context of this thing that I've just described in Corinth. But it's a principle that has application to all of us in every, every hour of the day. The verse says, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? When, uh, when I was in elementary school, we, we lived in Carlisle County down in West Kentucky uh, for about uh, six years, and um, that's the farm I mentioned this morning at the end of the dirt road. It's where I got saved, and uh, we had a, Dad had a 100-acre farm there, and during that time, I'm talking about when I'm in first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, etc., cetera, uh, I had a little dog. He was a rat terrier. Little, little guy, and uh, his name was Pee-wee. Now, Pee-wee was a very good pet. He was a good family dog, very smart little pup. That old farm that we lived on had a reputation. It was infested with copperhead snakes. And all over that area, you just mentioned what was called the Tackett Farm, and everybody knew it was headquarters for copperheads. Now, Pee Wee, if he found a snake, and he found them pretty regularly, one of them got into the yard, one of them got under the house, one found in the barn, whatever, when he barked for a snake, we didn't have to go see about it to know what he had found. He had a certain arf for snakes that he only used for snakes. So even if he was under the house, when he started his snake bark, we knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, he, had a, he had another thing. If he was out in the barnyard chasing cattle or horses, uh, again, we didn't have to get up and go look. We knew what he was doing by the bark. Uh, if there was something going on out in the distance, maybe a coyote or something was out, maybe out in the fields or several hundred yards away, uh, he, he, would, he would bark kind of an inquiring kind of bark. And, and you, you could just, you, I mean, we knew what it was about. If somebody was coming down the road, they were coming to our house because we were the last house on the road. Uh, 
But if somebody started down that road, he would announce that. And again, it was not the snake bark, it was not the cow bark, it was not the distant thing bark, but it was a visitor coming bark. He had those certain sounds. He was consistent, I mean, pointedly consistent all of the time. Now, some of us need to take a lesson from Pee Wee. And we, we, need, we need to figure out how to make the certain sound in our life. Uh, I have preacher friends, and Brother Fugit has preacher friends that haven't figured this out. And I'm, I'm telling you guys that I would, I would never want to invite to my pulpit because they're doubt sores. They sow doubt. Uh, they'll, they'll come and they'll make... Uh, comments about the Bible that, that just, I mean, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound a certain note. Some, some of them are on again, off again. I mean, one time you see them and man, they are, they are ready to get squirt guns and charge the hot place. And there's other times, oh man, they're just wore out and tired and, and, and they're just fed up with everything. I mean, they're on one day and off the next. Uh, others that, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're one thing today and the next, next time you see them, man, I mean, they have signed up with something totally different. I mean, I mean, you say, how long have you known that guy? Well, I've known him for 30 years or I've known him for five years or whatever, but, he, but he's been this and he's been that and he's been something else and there is no certainty in his message. There's no certainty in his testimony. There's no certainty in his lifestyle. <coughs> I read somewhere, and I don't know whether it was, I, in fact, I don't even know whether the story is even true or not, but it's a good story, and I'll tell it with that caveat, with that uh, uh, understanding. But sometime during the Civil War, the story came out, I don't know whether it was a Union general or a Confederate general, but one of them, they got into a skirmish, they were not doing well, and the general said to his bugle boy, uh, Sound retreat! And the bugle voice said to him, he said, Sir, I don't know how to sound retreat, but he said, I can sound a charge that will raise the dead. Now some of us, some of us, I think, would do well if somewhere along the way, pretty, pretty soon after we become a Christian, if we would just say, I, I'm, I'm going to sound a certain sound uh, in, my, in my life, my testimony, my witness, I'm going to do that. Now, I told you I want to testify a little bit here tonight. Um, I, I, don't, I don't want anybody, when, when you pick up the next copy of our paper that comes off the press, I, I don't want anybody saying, well, I wonder where Dr. Smith is. I, I wonder where the sword of the Lord is on this now. If you, if you saw where we were on it last year uh, on a certain subject or whatever, I don't want you to be guessing about whether or not that we're standing on the things that we ought to be standing on. I want there to be a certain note sounded. Now, you say, well, how, how do we go about sounding a certain sound and doing it for a decade and two decades and three decades and four decades and beyond? How do we do that? You know, I anticipated your question. And I'm glad you asked. Because by way of testimony, let me suggest to you, here, here are some things that I think will help you to sound a certain sound. If you're a freshman in college or if you are somebody who just got your Social Security and, and you're in your senior years or anywhere in between, I'm going to suggest to you that you can sound a certain sound consistently through a lifetime if, if you will do certain things. And number one, the certain sound comes about by the text that I use. 
by the text that I use. In the early days of my Christian life and ministry, I was not in the independent Baptist crowd. It was a Baptist crowd, but it was a different, different group. About every two years, it was like, man, we've got a new Bible. This is the greatest thing since the invention of Diet Coke and uh, cornflakes. I mean, it, it's like, man, yeah, I'm telling you, this one, this one is the best of all. I, I, was, I was tickled, I think it was about two years ago, the, the uh, publishers of the NIV, they came out with a new edition of the NIV, and literally one of their people said for the press, we've, we've got it right this time. Now, this Bible, there's about 40 different people involved that God used in the writing of it, but they, they were only secretarial help. This is not the word of Moses. It's not the word of the Apostle Paul. This is the word of God. God inspired it, and he has preserved it. So when I pick up this book, I'm not quibbling around about what it says because uh, what, what it says is what it means. And what it means is what it says. And, uh, and I, I noticed in that other crowd, after a while, every year or two you got a new Bible coming along, somebody else has got another one, somebody else got another one. Next thing you know, you got different, different things all over the place and you read something and people come up to you and they say, oh, my Bible says something entirely different. And you know what happens out of that? Uncertainty. Uncertainty. One of the things that you've got going for you at Clay's Mill Baptist Church is you have an authoritative text. There's no doubt about what Bible will be opened in the Sunday school classes and in the pulpit next Sunday, next week, next month, next year. There's no doubt because pastors made a commitment to it and you've made a commitment to it. And I'm just simply saying to you, if you don't get this settled, a bunch of stuff is going to go wrong. Churches go down the tube whenever they do not have an authoritative text. They can have an authoritative preacher, but if they don't have an authoritative text, they're in for trouble. So the certain sound that we need to make begins by the text that I use. Secondly, I'm, I'm going to suggest to you that also by the sure salvation that I profess. I run into people knocking on doors, inquire of them about their salvation status, and I, I hear it a good bit. Well, you know, I, I, I think maybe I've got everything figured out. I, I'm, I'm trying, or, uh, you know, I, I'm working on that. And all of that is simply a short version of somebody who doesn't understand what salvation is. Because the Bible says over and over and over again, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know. And so if you have the salvation that God gives, it's not some, I mean, if you got it on Sunday, if God gave it to you, you'll not lose it on Tuesday. If you lost on Tuesday what you thought you got on Sunday, what you got on Sunday wasn't from God. Uh, we, we openly need to make clear the case that salvation is sure, and we need to profess that. There are people all over town tonight who have no idea whether they'll go to heaven or hell. They were in church somewhere this morning and, and the note was not, I mean the trumpet did not sound that helped them to understand that they could be saved and sure. The certain sound that we need to make 
is, uh, it is helped by the sanctified life that we live. Sanctified life. I mean, a life that's set apart. Listen, when we come to Christ, we're not the same any longer. And the difference, the difference that that ought to make in our life. I mean, I mean, whatever your circumstance, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, however clean your life has been, I promise you, you come to Christ and He will begin to set you apart even more than what you were before you got saved. The world is spinning out of control. It's going downward. It, I mean, that passage in 2 Timothy says, evil men shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Our world is not building up. It's tumbling down. And you and I have the privilege to set a standard. We have a privilege to, to let it be seen that there is a difference when we come to Christ. So the sanctified life that we live sounds a certain sound. The company that I keep. He that walks with wise men shall be wise. It's in the Bible. Now, you, you and I live out in the world. We rub shoulders with people all of the time that are in all kinds of mischief. But we need to be careful about how we go about doing that and the folks with whom we have um, intimate friendships. Be careful about the company that we keep. We say, well, I'm going I'm to go, I'm going to get my meal. I'm going to eat at a honky-tonk. I'm going to eat at some, some place, you know, where all this devilish entertainment's going on and all that kind of stuff. I'm telling you, you do it and you do it and you do it and one of these days they'll drag you in. The company that you keep will create an uncertain sound. And even if you were to stay straight in the process of that, other people passing by and seeing what you're into. I heard a, I heard a preacher that... We, we all know and love just recently say, and I, I thought to myself, what a testimony, what a good testimony. But he made the statement, he said, driving down the street, he said, he said if, I, if I've stopped and gotten a soda that's got a straw in it, he said, I take the straw out and take the cap off and drink out of the cup for fear that somebody in my town will pass by in the car and think I'm smoking a cigarette. And I thought, now there's somebody who has gotten himself serious about living the sanctified life. <laughs> In fact, I've been pulling straws out of my cups ever since. The sanctified life that we live sounds a certain sound that nobody will misunderstand. And number five, I want to say to you the money that I make tells a story. How I make money. Led a guy to Christ that might have seen him several times. Came down the aisle one Sunday night running. Led him to Christ, the altar. As soon as we finished, he turned to me and he said, Pastor, can I speak to you? He got up close to me and he said, I knew. He said, I wanted to get saved the other two or three times you came to see me. He said, I wanted to. But he said, I knew that the minute I got saved, I'd have to change jobs. And I said, what kind of job you got? <laughs> and he was driving a truck that was delivering pornography all over our end of the state. We bowed our heads in the altar. And I prayed not only that God would give him the courage to do what he'd already told me he was going to do the next morning and quit his job. But I prayed God give him a job by Friday. He had a job, and he was making 
money. But he quit, I think it was on a Tuesday, he quit, or on a Monday he quit, and by Friday, by Friday he had another job that was equal or close to being what he had. Now, I'm just simply saying the money that we make tells a story. The way I spend my money tells a story. All of that, our money, I mean, I mean, folks don't like to talk about money, but it's a part of your life. Uh, you go to get a hamburger, you got to have some of it. And the money that we make, the way we get it and the way we use it, sounds an alarm. It tells a story, either certain or uncertain. For me as a preacher, the message that I preach tells a story. I, I, I pray, I ask the Lord to help me. You know, sometimes, sometimes you have to lay things bare and just, just, I mean, just lay things out and tell it like it is. And I do a lot of that. But I never want to do that without saying, but there's hope. There's a way out. There's a way up. There's a way. There's a way for you to get from where you are to where you need to be. And God will make that way for you. The message that we preach is a certain sound. The stand that we take. Pastor mentioned the article that I had in that recent sword on abortion. I mean, there's some stuff I just want to, I mean, when I write, I want to nail it. When I preach, I want to nail it. My personal conversations, I want to nail it. You know, I hate liquor. I hate abortion. On and on. I mean, there's a, there's a list. You say, you're against a lot of stuff? Yeah, I'm against a lot of stuff. I'm for a lot of stuff. But you know, uh, there's, not a, there's not a car sitting out here on the lot that'll start tonight if you don't have two posts on the battery. One of them's positive and the other one's negative. And a lot of folks, oh, I just don't want to be negative. Well, bless your not-so-negative heart. <laughs> Some stuff you need to get negative about it. You got little boys and girls in your home, you better get negative about beer. You better get negative about alcohol. You better get negative about drugs. You better get negative about some of these hell holes in town where somebody will try to suck them into. We better get negative about some of that. The stand that we take makes a difference. I went to Maryland years ago. I was there a long time, pastor there a long time. A couple of guys said to me early on, they said, Pastor, this is a very liberal state. You can't do this here. You can't do this. I mean, uh, I said, yeah, 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 we can. See, liberalism creates such, a, such an empty hole. It creates a vacuum. It leaves people empty. And some of us come along and we just stand up and scream bloody murder against some of this stuff. Oh, yeah, there's some people who hate you for it. But there's others who say, ah, oh, there's what's real. There's what's real. So the stand we take sounds a certain note. The doctrine that we teach. I have a new document that I'm just about finished writing. And uh, we're getting print, Lord willing, in the next few weeks. And it's entitled, The Doctrine of Doctrine. I'm telling you, I've run into people even in our circles. It's like, well, you know, doctrine. <laughs> I've told this story, probably told it here. A lady down in Florida came out after a service like this on a, on a Sunday night. And she said, well, I'll tell you right now. She said, we don't do doctrine at our church. I said, yes, ma'am, you do. She said, you don't even know what church I belong to. I said, you just told me what your doctrine is. You told me you don't do doctrine, you've got to know doctrine church. That is your teaching. That means you don't stand for anything. 
I was kind to her. She didn't particularly like that. I don't think I convinced her, but it was true. But listen, when I, when, when I stand up here, pastor stands up here and tells us about the security of the believer, tells us about baptism by immersion for believers, tells us about the local church, tells us about the second coming of Christ. I mean, those are doctrinal themes that are laid out clearly in the Bible. And for us to give an inch on those kinds of things erodes the testimony that all of us ought to have. And so we send a certain sound by the doctrine that we teach. We send a certain sound by the countenance that we display. You know, you can be firm. Oh, you can be solid on all the things you believe, but you don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to be a grouch. You don't have to be a grump. <laughs> you don't have to go around biting people's heads off all the time. You know, now, I, I know certainly nobody in this crowd would do that, but some folks don't seem to catch on to that. I tell our workers at the, at, the, at the sort, at the offices, I tell them, you know, I don't know whether anybody around here does that or not, but some, sometimes, you know, you'll have folks come into the office on Monday and they're as moody as they can be. But I tell our workers at the sword, the only moody we're going to have around here is D.L. Moody. <laughs> if, if, you, if you're going to come in and you're in a bad mood, just go punch the clock, check out. Go ahead and go home. Don't spoil the day for the rest of us. Come back tomorrow if you're feeling like it. Of course, that'll be on your tab. You're not going to get paid for being moody. <laughs> hey, listen, the countenance that we display, we ought to light it up for the Savior. You know, I eat at McDonald's almost every morning of my life. I'm a high roller, man. I eat in a lot of nice places. Amen. Well, hey, listen, I'm joking around with you a little bit, but I do. I, I, there's a bunch of breakfast things that I can't eat because of allergies, but I can go to McDonald's and get my breakfast, and I do it almost every morning in my life. The one that I walk into there in Murfreesboro, I walk in there every morning. There's people all over the place. There's 40 or 50 businessmen that I've gotten to know pretty well who eat there as well. Uh, we got a, about that many homeless people who are in now there. A lot of them I've known for 20 years. And there's another crowd of people who work there. And listen, I, I work all the time. I walk in there, hey, good morning. How in the world are you? How's, how's, how's everything going this morning? Oh, you know, my grandmother's in the hospital. I said, well, come over here. Come over here. Put my arm on the, on the hand on the shoulder. And I said, let me pray and we'll ask God for what we need today. Just, I mean, I just, I, I'm just determined. You know, I walk into McDonald's. I mean, just like walking in here tonight. I, 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 want, I want to exude and demonstrate that there is something certain in my heart. I've got my hands on something certain, and I can make that certain sound. No gibberish, no, no up and down, no, no, well, maybe this, maybe that. No, we're a hold of something that's solid, it's good, it's eternal. It'll help you through the valley. It'll see you through the mountain. It will help you every day that you live and breathe. That certain sound is expressed is echoed by the, the hope that we express. Because one of these days, heaven's horn's going to sound. And when it does, if we're still alive and kicking, we're going to be up and out of here. If they've already put us in the ground, we're going to kick dirt off. <laughs> I don't know how all that's going to happen. I just, I just know the Lord said, the dead in Christ will rise first and then the rest that are alive are going to come up and we're all going to be up, up, up and away. Don't have to go through TSA to get there. 
resurrection, rapture, and then heaven. You know, ever, ever, ever one of you that ran a bus route today, you're, you're out there sounding the trumpet of a certain sound. You're telling folks all over town, we got something you need. Every, every time you're on television, Pastor, every time you're on the radio, every time you stand in this pulpit, every single time, Brother Young, every time that choir sings, every time somebody like these ladies stood up here and sing, you know what we're saying? We're saying there are certain things, certain things, solid certainties that we need to get hold of, and we're, we're announcing those. We're, we're pounding the pavement to make those clear and sounding that on. He said, if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, Who's going to prepare himself for the battle? Let me tell you what I hope you'll do. I hope you'll remember about my little dog. And I hope that you'll get an ARF that announces certain things. Some, some, somebody, somebody tries to lead you off the trail, I, I hope you'll get a bark that announces to everybody, them included, you're not going there. Somebody wants to know whether or not you're saved. I, 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 I hope you'll set up a howl. I mean, I hope you'll, you'll announce that with such certainty and excitement that everybody will know what you're doing when you testify. God, help us to sound a certain sound.